Yeah, I know. Packers are just going to get a third round pick for Rodgers and they're going to take it and they're just going to like it. Yeah, yeah, I heard. Let's move on. Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews, where I am your host, John Delray. Today, yes, the Rodgers-Jets-Packers trade, it's still not done. So, you know, this is going to be news as much as even some of us don't want it to be, all the way until it's completed. But, you know, I've been talking a lot recently about... Why haven't the Packers gotten Darren Waller or Brandon Cooks like these other teams did? And it all comes down to money. Yes, my last couple episodes have been addressing the questions as to who's left on the free agent market that the Packers can afford. Not a lot. Why didn't they go get these guys? Well, they can. And it all really comes down at the end of the day to money. The Packers have no money. Unfortunately. And they're really quickly running out of ways to generate more money. So... Uh, today, we're going to take a look at four affordable players that might be included in the Rodgers-Jets-Packers trade. Yeah, these are players that are not necessarily the most high profile. These are not guys that are making $15 million a year. These are guys that maybe as Packer fans, you haven't even heard of that much or given much thought to. It's not Sauce Gardner. If you're hoping that I'm going to say Sauce Gardner, it's not. Okay, just just let that dream go. It's not going to be. So I do cover four guys that are very affordable, four guys that are on at least close to rookie contracts. Uh, Some guys that I could at least envision there being scenarios where the Jets may move on from them and send them to the Packers and in return, you know, get Aaron Rodgers. I also wanted to address one question that I've been seeing pop up in a lot of different online circles, including the comment section of the last couple videos, and I'm going to address that first. And the real question is, why, if the Packers are trading Aaron Rodgers, why is that going to cost the Packers money? Yeah, and it seems really counterintuitive, doesn't it? But the truth is, Green Bay has a cap number for Aaron Rodgers right now of $31 million. And if they trade him or if he retires, you could basically tack $9 million onto that to give it a nice round 40. But why? Why does a guy leaving the team cost the team more money? Well, to put it simply, it's because dead money from the future accelerates when he's no longer on the team. Look, I'm not going to mince words here. Aaron Rodgers' contract is one of the single most complicated contracts that the National Football League has ever seen. It, by the way, he said it was team friendly. Just bear that in mind. But it is immensely complicated. And you take that, the contract that he signed last year, and you're piling it on top of these past contracts that Rodgers has had, that they've already restructured a bunch and pushed money into the future as they were really going for it these last couple of years. So basically, think of it this way. $31 million cap number right now, okay? That jumps to 40 because dead money that was going to be in future years accelerates or has to accelerate when he no longer is on the team. If he were still playing for the Packers, the reason why that number would be lower is because they could keep on extending that money out. But they can't do that if he's gone. 
has to accelerate. So you see $9 million that they were planning on counting in future years come up because he's not on the team anymore. And that's about the simplest way there is to it. There's super, super nuanced breakdowns. I have yet to see anyone, even Joel Curry, who's a former agent or over the cap, they've explained why the money is there, but not with exact, like, it's this bonus from the 2017 contract that needs to come up. Basically, it's just dead money from past contracts, like the 2021 restructure, the 2017, I think, new contract. It's all just coming forward, and that's really all there is to it. So there you go. Now, let's move on to the news of the day. By the way, you got any further questions on that? Just put it in the comments. I will try to address it as best we can, keeping in mind that we do fairly limited knowledge on the contract. So... Um, just let me know if you got any more questions. But moving on, there were two pieces of news today that are quite pertinent to potential backer interests. I've already seen the name Elijah Moore in these hypothetical trades a lot. Packers want him. Now, that is regardless of the fact that Moore came out last year and was highly disgruntled, requested a trade in the middle of the season, uh, completely publicly lambasted Matt LaFleur's little brother. Um, yeah. So a lot of people still wanted more in Green Bay, but two news items that I'm going to cover right now don't exactly make that possible. So number one, McCole Hardman, former Kansas City Chief, absolute speed burner. McCole Hardman signs with the New York Jets on a one-year contract worth up to $6.5 million. I know he was a very popular name amongst Packer fans that he may bring in a speed element I just never really saw the fit that much personally. And at one year with a max of 6.5, could they have fit it in their cap? Sure. But uh, would it really have been the vet presence that you need in the receiver room anyway? No, not really. It would just would have been a speed element. But anyway, he goes to the Jets and suddenly that's, that's highly redundant with a certain young wide receiver, former second round pick named Elijah Moore. And so what was really kind of neat was watching online, you saw the like the jubilation from Packer fans of, oh, they just signed Hardman. I bet that means more is going to come over in the trade. And then like, and then all the Jets community was like, there's no way they're not moving on from Elijah Moore. <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later, news broke that the Jets were trading Elijah Moore, not to the Packers, but to the Cleveland Browns. Yes, today the trade was made, Elijah Moore going to the Cleveland Browns. Now, the exact terms of the trade, Elijah Moore and the Jets third rounder to the Browns for Cleveland's second rounder, so Elijah Moore can now go to Cleveland and catch balls from Deshaun Watson. So, basically what happened here is Elijah Moore got shipped up to Cleveland and the Jets moved up around. Now, why is that pertinent for Green Bay? Well, the New York Jets now have two second round picks. Seems kind of important when you're discussing a trade, a massive complicated trade with a ton of moving parts, lots of financials, lots of draft compensation, potentially players, to have a second round pick. Or if you're trying to get Green Bay off of the place of requiring a first round pick in the trade, doesn't two seconds have some kind of appeal to it? Methinks this might be part of a larger scheme. You know, another question that I see question a lot yes a question that's questioned why isn't this deal done yet and well truth is look it's complicated aaron Rodgers has a massively complicated contract and a ton of money 
And as Mark Murphy knows, he's a complicated fella. Looking at the Jets side of things, it's a 39-year-old quarterback. How much are you going to pay for that? And yet the Packers are saying, hey, we want to be paid for our four-time MVP because realistically we're just fine with him retiring here too. It's a franchise icon. We don't mind if he retires here. So you've got all these moving parts. Plus for that, add in the cap difficulties by the Packers. It's not like the Jets are much better off in that region either. And you got these players. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. And keep in mind the timeline too. Brian Gutekunst is working right now. He was just at Ohio State's Pro Day. He's been going all over. They're seeing different Pro Days. They're doing typical draft stuff. And then plus coming up soon is the NFL owners meetings. So maybe they're just holding off to finalize things until the owners meeting so that they could just wrap this up in person. One thing we do know is that Packers and Jets people, it's been reported widely, have been silent about this. No leaks recently. None of that stuff. It's just silence. Which is a little odd. But sometimes that also means that that means work being done. So you've got this radio silence. One thing that everyone seems to agree on, whether it's Connor Hughes for the Jets, Bill Huber for the Packers, the real insiders for each team is that the trade is unequivocally happening. Okay, so then I guess it's just, and maybe, maybe they just called each other and said, hey, we're on the verge of this. Let's sleep on it. Let's talk it over at the NFL meetings or the owner meetings. We'll, we'll get this hammered out there in person. We'll do it over a beer. Maybe. Because no, neither team has a tremendous sense of urgency. The fans are the ones who feel pressure and urgency at this time. So, with that being said, now that Elijah Moore is gone, he's not going to be included in the trade. Now that the Jets have an additional second-round pick, let's look at some young players on the Jets roster who would fit within the Packers' cap, who may be of appeal to the Packers, while being players that the Jets may move on from. So let's take a look. Now, before I dive in, one quick thing that I wanted to address is I did not include wide receiver Corey Davis, edge player Carl Lawson, uh, or uh, Whitehead, the safety from the Jets. Why? Well, Corey Davis is due $10.5 million. Lawson is due even more than that. Whitehead's due, I think, $7.5 million in his cap number. Could the Packers make any one of those numbers work? Yes. But they would have to restructure or extend said player. Might it still happen? Sure. Might they want to push more money into the future with a restructure? Maybe. But I just have a difficult time seeing it. Now, for the Jets, Corey Davis is slightly redundant with Alan Lazard there. I'm going to talk about a couple edge players here. So Lawson is, again, slightly redundant when you've got all this young edge talent. And Whitehead is just someone who's really attractive to the backers, given their complete absence of safety experience. So it's possible, but I'm going to go with not likely. And I know there's some that are still pounding the drums for Corey Davis or Whitehead. Maybe. But it is going to take more financial gymnastics by the Green Bay Packers to make that happen. So today, I just wanted to focus on four players who fit the criteria of cap-friendly for the Packers, young, and someone that the Jets may move on from because they have depth at this spot. And number one, a player who I was not super familiar with, but the more that I dove in here, the more I got excited by. And it's someone who I have not seen mentioned in any trade proposal out there. Edge, Michael Clemens. Yeah, he was a fourth round pick last year for the New York Jets. He's nearly 26 years old. He was an older prospect coming out of the draft. 
an 8.21 RAS score, which fits right in line with the Packers, six foot five, 263 pounds, again, meeting the Packer thresholds for an edge player. But here's the thing about Michael Clemens, and you're going to see this as I cover this in a little bit, his rookie year was comparable to that of first-round pick Jermaine Johnson, if not in some ways superior. Now, getting into the financials, He's got three years remaining on his deal since he was just picked last year. He has a max cap hit in year four of $1.2 million. Yeah, that kind of contract is real, real enticing for the Green Bay Packers right now. And we know that they have a needed edge. But why Michael Clemens? The Green Bay Packers don't defend the run well, right? Well, here's his grades from PFF. 78.7 total grade from PFF. In run defense, 86.4. Pass rush, 58.6. This is a man who, according to PFF, missed zero tackles last year. Zero. He had 19 tackles, 16 of which were stops. He also had 10 assists on top of that per PFF. Across 311 total snaps, he also had three sacks. Coming out of college, this was a guy who was revered more so as a pass rusher. But perhaps the big thing, the big thing about Michael Clemens that was that was encapsulated really well by an article in the Jets fandom was the man might be a psychopath. And you know what? The Green Bay Packers could use a little bit more psychopath on their defense. We've talked about that before, that they just need an added element of aggression, of basically ego, of someone who's going to come in and help dictate the game, not allow offenses to come to them. And perhaps Michael Clemens is that guy. If you're the Green Bay Packers, I don't think you mind, considering he's got three years left on his deal, that he's 26 years old. I don't think that age is a deterrent for you and the situation that you're in right now, especially with Rashawn Gary potentially missing part of this season. But the thing that I'm really attracted to is that 86.4 run number. That's the grade. It's a fantastic grade. Especially for a team that doesn't defend the run super well like the Green Bay Packers don't. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one other thing. He does seem to have, and this is, I think, part of where the psychopath thing might have come from, whether it's fair or not fair. He does have a couple off-field concerns. Now, he was described as a guy who has an incredibly charming personality, while, when he steps onto the football field, enters a very, very dark place, according to Coach Robert Saleh. But his off-the-field concerns in the draft, and it's believed that he potentially dropped a little bit in the draft because of this, was actually because of one incident in his time in college. And he was, uh, I don't know if he was formally charged, but anyway, the, the, uh, all of the reading that I did alluded to possession of marijuana, uh, unlawful uh, carrying of a firearm, and then falsifying or inability to identify. Now, He has had a chance to address all of this. He did so in the draft last year and preparing for the draft, as did Jets GM Joe Douglas. And I will give credit that one thing that Joe Douglas is known for is his vetting of players who have uh, character concerns. Joe Douglas, much like the Green Bay Packers, wants a character-high locker room. And so if he was going to permit Michael Clemens into it, they did their background. And they were comfortable taking him. And if you ask Clemens, he said that a lot of his legal troubles stem from one very, very bad day. So if the Green Bay Packers are comfortable with this, if Joe Douglas was comfortable with this, this is the guy. If you have shares of Michael Clemens, I am buying. I want him for the Green Bay Packer defense if the Packers can find a way 
to get him in the trade. Player number two that I'm going to mention is actually kind of in the same vein, a little, in that he's an edge player. Now it's a little unorthodox, his inclusion, because he was just issued the second round tender, and that would be Bryce Huff. Yes, another edge defender for the Jets. This one significantly more of a pass rush specialist. He was the Jets' highest graded defender last year with an overall grade on PFF of 90.4. 64.9 in the run, 88 in the pass rush. He had 36 pressures and four sacks. Now, he was issued the second round tender. He's more experienced than the NFL. That second round tender comes with a value of $4.3 million. And the only reason that I include him on this list, because that's, that's, that's a high dollar amount for the Green Bay Packers financial situation right now, is because what if Yash is included in the deal? Look, per some recent data that came out this week, the New York Jets are in line to have one of the worst pass-blocking five-man fronts in the NFL this year. The Green Bay Packers, second to best, and they've got depth beyond that. So, if you include Yash with his second-round tender for Huff, I mean, this could be basically position of need for position of need. And in the grander scheme of this trade that you know is going to happen, perhaps these two almost cancel each other out. So I include Huff because it's a position of need for the Packers and because there's an easy way to cancel it out on the financial side with something that the Jets really need too. So food for thought. Now I did just cover two edge players, Huff and Clemens. And I wanted to comp them because the one that every Packer player or every Packer fan seems to want that I see, you know, mocked in all these trades to the Packers is Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson was 26th overall last year in the draft. 956 Raz. He's gonna be 24 years old, six foot five, 254 pounds. I mean, the guy was even more talented than his 26th draft slot last year. A lot of people thought he was the top 12, top 15 pick, and the Jets kind of lucked out by getting him all the way back at 26. And he had a good rookie year, 71.7 overall grade, 68.7 on the run, 64.6 against the pass, 21 tackles, 19 stops, 3 sacks, very, very strong rookie year. And of course, his contract comes with that potential 5th year option as well. But even right now, his contract is $2.9 million this year, $4.1 million in year 4. And that option, of course, as we know with Darnell Savage, is even higher than that. So... Are the Jets willing to give up on their first-round pick from last year or include him in the deal? I'm skeptical. I'm very skeptical. Would we all love it? Yes! Is it going to happen? I doubt it. So if I'm Green Bay, again, given the fact that the stats are so close, given the fact that Clemens seemed to even do better in the run than Johnson did, I'm buying all the Clemens shares. Let's move on to offense. Offense, I have two players that I'm going to mention here quick. Yes, of course, neither one is Elijah Moore. But first up is wide receiver, former second-round pick, Denzel Mims. He's got a cap hit this year of $1.7 million. It's the final year of his contract. He's 25 years old, 6'3", 207 pounds, and he ran a 9.77. He didn't run it. 9.77 overall RAS score. Why that RAS score wasn't higher is actually because of a miserable short shuttle. And coming out of college, he was con he was thought of to have a couple weaknesses, and one of them was his speed in very, very tight spaces. Thus, the terrible short subtle skill. But then even beyond that, the other concerns with Mims were kind of twofold. One, could he make contested catches? Two, he seems to lapse motivation on the field at times. Of course that's concerning. 
You know, now he's entering year four in the NFL, and if you're the Green Bay Packers and you're evaluating Mims, look, you need wide receivers because you have Watson, Dobbs, Toure, maybe Bo Melton. Maybe since they just got McCall Hardman, Randall Cobb isn't going to the Jets and you want to bring him back? Maybe? But nonetheless, you need wide receivers and maybe Denzel Mims is that guy if you believe that his lack of production with the Jets is just a change of scenery need. Because in the rookie in his rookie year, he had put up some relatively promising numbers on a small scale. And then years two and three combined basically match his rookie year. Mm. There's been many rumors of potential trade requests. There's been many rumors of unhappiness from Mims. And yeah, he's not seeing the field. But he's not seeing the field because he's not good enough? Because he doesn't fit in? The Green Bay Packers got to answer that question. If they're comfortable with him, maybe we see Mims included. Last player, player number four would be a tight end. Another draft pick from last year. Yes, the Jets had a very, very good draft last year. Jeremy Ruckert. Round three pick, he's six foot five, 250 pounds, he's 22 years old. Tight end from Ohio State. Look, I felt the same way about Ruckert last year as I do now, even after this rookie year where he didn't do a ton because he is pretty buried on that jet set chart at tight end behind Conklin and Ozuma. He's good at everything, kind of. He's great or excellent at nothing. He's blocking, he can get a full head of steam, he can charge into someone, he can do that well. But his technique lapses. In receiving, he can make all the contested catches. But his instincts in route running leave something to be desired. So, look, the Green Bay Packers have a definite need at tight end. They've got Josiah Aguara and Tyler Davis. And that's it. Now, maybe the Green Bay Packers are more comfortable using some mid-round picks or even high picks in this year's draft because it's such an exceptional tight end class. Maybe a fifth-round pick or fourth-round pick or even a third-round pick is better used on Kraft or Zach Kuntz in this year's class. Because maybe they're just as good as Ruckert from last year. But if the Green Bay Packers are looking for a sure thing and it's not really going to cost them much on the trade, then maybe Jeremy Ruckert's your guy. Because as we've discussed in past videos, especially last one, the Green Bay Packers do not have a lot of money, very few avenues to open up more money, and they got a lot of roster spots to fill. That's it for today's episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I do hope that you enjoyed. I will be back on Friday, barring any type of breaking news, with a new topic on Friday. Perhaps we're going to start looking at, uh, look back at the combine before all this hit us, um, or even look at people in the draft who are Packer people. So uh, join me on Friday for that episode. I hope you're having an absolutely fantastic day, and as always, go Pack Go.